0: Part twenty six. It ain't over till it's over. The Palmer House Hilton Hotel in Chicago is a temple to the intricate opulence of the gilded age. Corinthian columns rise from floors of Persian carpet past marbled tables and paintings by Monet, up to intricate cornices that buttress ceilings festooned with Tiffany chandeliers and elaborate frescoes by Rigal. It all culminates as an abridged version of the Sistine Chapel. The place is 300 million in the hole and on life support. The fancy rugs, big pillars, and swanky roof have insulated overly privileged drinkers of martinis, Manhattans, and old-fashioned gimlets for 150 years. The luxurious hotel, and others like it, seems opposite to the concrete floors, picnic tables, and exposed air ducts of the warehouse brew pubs preferred by today's woke imbibers. Tom Collins and his contemporaries seem to have given way to modern-day Sam Adams and a slew of crafty new names for booze. Woke folks are clever, that's for sure. Our modern wit also reveals state-of-the-art petulance that mocks life in the Gilded Age with parodies of everything from monogamy to civil disobedience, and faith to freedom. Philology meets Philology with names like Polygamy Porter, Arrogant Bastard, Yeastus Christ, Hebrew, Gandhi Bot, and Brew Free or Die. My first trip to the Palmer House came as a vote of confidence from a boss who had the assurance of a mother bird. He tossed me from the nest to fly to Chicago by myself and deliver a major marketing pitch to a vice president and 12 regional directors of an international food manufacturer. The group managed hundreds of millions of dollars in product sales and millions in promotional budgets. It was a crucial opportunity, one that could take us from local programming to nationwide presence. A pressed suit, discriminating tie, new belt, and shiny shoes couldn't cloak my gaping mouth at the historic property as I, pretending to belong, strolled through the velvet seats and up the Cinderella staircase. Some years later, my nephew recaptured the moment when he sent a family picture from inside a noted Parisian jeweler with the inscription, The Clampets Come to Cartier! The Grand Ballroom at the Palmer House is just that, and has hosted luminaries like Mark Twain, Charles Dickens, Oscar Wilde, and every president since U.S. Grant. Current stars and past greats of entertainment such as Ella Fitzgerald, Judy Garland, Louis Armstrong, and Liberace have graced its stage. I promenaded past the Great Hall to go stake my place in a corporate meeting room. There were no computerized projections of PowerPoints in those days, so Palmer's meticulous staff had perfectly positioned an overhead projector next to a podium. The refreshments, including strategic placement of client brands, were laid out on white linen and organized for easy access by attendees. I was ready to go and thank the team for setting the stage. In my briefcase were 24 transparencies, two per region, each skillfully separated by a sheet of goldenrod copy paper that was numbered and annotated with a transitional comment to let me glide like a hawk and pick off the prey one quarry at a time with peck after peck of precision research. I carefully extracted the presentation from the case and removed the protective folder. Attendees arrived early, so I set down the contents to greet them as they entered. We chatted and refreshed till the time was at hand. I stood before the Lord of Budgets and his apostles of marketing to be judged. Brief intro and overview. So far, so good. On to review the stack of plastic transparencies on the projector that would seal the deal. I looked down at the sheets to see the load had shifted. Why hadn't I moved them to the podium before the guests arrived, I thought. No matter. Before gathering and straightening the sheets with a two-handed tap on the podium, I casually reached down to flip the switch to shine the light that would that would project my brilliance to all. Plastic is slippery. Less than a second later, It felt like the Last Supper. The mass of research slid from the screen, bounced off the edge of the cart, slapped the floor in multiple plops, and spread out like the Sudoku puzzle from hell. My forehead lit up like a high-density airplane warning light atop the Hancock Tower. My earlobes looked like cherry tomatoes. And the apostles did their gracious best to keep from howling in laughter at my brilliance. I awkwardly stepped around the podium, bent over, and desperately pawed at the jumbled numbers as I attempted to reestablish confidence and competency with a series of ums and ahs. The VP spoke up before every lower lip in the room was bitten clean through. Hey, he said. Leave that shit on the floor and wing it. We'll look at the numbers later. I stood straight just before every drop of blood had reached my head, then picked up a glass of water that shook in my hand like a Yahtzee dice cup. I took a pull, a deep breath, and looked around the room at faces that were smiling with me, not at me. The situation became irresistibly comical. And I had nowhere to go but up. It became another of life's blessings in disguise. I was forced to conversationally deliver information I knew quite well, rather than recite boring statistics from spreadsheets. The VP approached me afterwards. You done good. After the fuck up, he said with a grin. I'll be talking to your boss. We all belong at the Palmer House, if we want to be there, if we want to respect and appreciate the artisan's gilding rather than disrupt the beauty, if we want to admire the craft rather than spite the long-dead faces of those who commissioned the creation. The gilded house and the crafty brew pub represent eras and worldviews of stark contrast, and yet They're connected like parasitic twins of single mind. Both eras viewed previous generations with egocentric condescension. We've always been like Caesar, who called those classic Greek pillars Romanesque. Or like Ugga, the Homo sapien, who called Mugga, the discoverer of flint and fire, a Neanderthal. I'd amend any of a thousand screw-ups, bad decisions, and wrongful acts in my life. I would not, however, part with any of the life lessons. They taught me I'm not a victim unless I choose to be, and that envy is self-anger that destroys from within. We'd all prefer a bit of compassion and a hoppy ending over a bitter conclusion.